Stop it! You've lost control of it, I screamed, surely with all my strength. But the infant screamed louder. Make it stop! I cannot, he whispered. It goes on forever. It will never stop. And with a great shriek, I kicked at the cat and sent it flying out of the filthy room, overturning the milk pail as it went. Death in all the houses of Norwood, death in the cloister, death in the open fields. It seemed the judgment of God. I was sobbing, begging to be released. It seemed the very end of creation itself. But as night came down over the dead village, he was alive still, stumbling up the slopes through the forest toward that tower where the Lord stood at the broken arch of the window, waiting for him to come. Don't go, I begged him. I ran alongside him, crying, but he didn't hear. The Lord turned and smiled with infinite sadness as the young man on his knees begged for salvation when it was damnation this Lord offered, when it was only damnation that the Lord would give. Yes, damn them, but living, breathing, the young man cried, and the Lord opened his arms. The kiss again, the lethal kiss, the blood drawn out of his dying body, and then the Lord lifting the heavy head of the young man so that youth could take the blood back again from the body of the Lord himself. I screamed, do not, do not drink. He turned, his face was now so perfectly the visage of death that I couldn't believe there was animation left in him. Yet he asked, what would you do? Would you go back to Norwood? Would you open those doors one after another? Would you ring the bell in the empty church? And if you did, who would hear? He didn't wait for my answer, and I had none now to give. He locked his innocent mouth to the vein that pulsed with every semblance of life beneath the Lord's cold and translucent flesh, and the blood jetted into the young body, vanquishing in one great burst the fever and the sickness that had racked it, driving it out along with the mortal wife. He stood now in the hall of the Lord alone. Immortality was his, and the bloodthirst he would need to sustain it, and that thirst I could feel with my whole soul. And each and everything was transfigured in his vision to the exquisite essence of itself. A wordless voice spoke from the starry veil of heaven. It sang in the wind that rushed through the broken timbers. It sighed in the flames that ate the sooted stones of the hearth. It was the eternal rhythm of the universe that played beneath every surface as the last living creature in the village. That tiny child fell silent in the maw of time. A soft wind sifted and scattered the soil from the newly turned furrows in the empty fields. The rain fell from the black and endless sky. Years and years passed, and all that had been Norwood melted into the earth. The forest sent out its silent sentinels, and mighty trunks rose where there had been huts and houses, where there had been monastery walls, and it seemed the horror beyond all horrors that no one should know any more of those who had lived and died in that small and insignificant village, that not anywhere in the great archives in which all history is recorded should a mention of Norwood exist. Yet one remained who knew, one who had witnessed, one who had seen the ramplings come in the years that followed, seen them raise their house upon the very slope where the ancient castle had once stood, one who saw a new village collect itself slowly upon the unmarked grave of the old. And all through the walls of Rampling Gate were the stones of that old castle, the stones of the forgotten monastery, the stones of that little church. 
we were once again back in the tower. It is my shrine, he whispered, my sanctuary. It is the only thing that endures as I endure. And you love it as I love it, Julie. You have written it. You love its grandeur and its gloom. Yes, yes, as it's always been. I was crying, though I didn't move my lips. He had turned to me from the window, and I could feel his endless craving with all my heart. What else do you want from me, I pleaded. What else can I give? A torrent of images answered me. It was beginning again. I was once again relinquishing myself, yet in a great rush of lights and noise, I was enlivened and made whole as I had been when we rode together through the forest. But it was into the world of now, this hour that we passed. We were flying through the rural darkness along the railway toward London, where the nighttime city burst like an enormous bubble in a shower of laughter and motion and glaring lights. He was walking with me under the gas lamps, his face all but shimmering with the same dark innocence, that same irresistible warmth. It seemed as we were holding tight to each other in the very midst of a crowd. And the crowd was a living thing, a writhing thing, and everywhere there came a dark, rich aroma from it, the aroma of fresh blood. Women in white fur and gentlemen in opera capes swept through the brightly lighted doors of the theater. The blare of the music hall inundated us and then faded away. Only a thin soprano voice was left, singing a high, plaintive song. I was in his arms and his lips were covering mine and there came that dull singing sensation again, that great uncontrollable opening within myself. Thirst and the promise of satiation measured only by the intensity of that thirst. Up back staircases we fled, together into high-ceiling bedrooms papered in red damask, where the loveliest women reclined on brass beds and the aroma was so strong now that I could not bear it. And he said, drink. They are your victims. They will give you eternity. You must drink. And I felt the warmth filling me, charging me, blurring my vision until we broke free again, light and invisible. It seemed as we moved over the rooftops and down again through rain-drenched streets. But the rain did not touch us. The falling snow did not chill us. We had within ourselves a great heat. And together in the carriage, we talked to each other in low, exuberant rushes of language. We were lovers. We were constant. We were immortal. We were as enduring as rampling gate. Oh, don't let it stop. I felt his arms around me and I knew we were in the tower room together and the visions had worked their fatal alchemy. Do you understand what I am offering you? To your ancestors I revealed myself, yes. I subjugated them. But I would make you my bride, Julie. I would share with you my power. Come with me. I will not take you against your will. But can you turn away? Again, I heard my own scream. My hands were on his cool white skin and his lips were gentle yet hungry, his eyes yielding and ever young. Father's angry countenance blazed before me as if I too had the power to conjure. Unspeakable horror. I covered my face. He stood against the backdrop of the window, against the distant drift of pale clouds. The candlelight glimmered in his eyes, immense and sad and wise they seemed, and oh yes, innocent, as I have said again and again. You are the fairest flower, Julie. To them I gave my protection always. To you I give my love. Come to me, dearest, and Rampling Gate will truly be yours, and it will finally truly be mine. 
nights of argument, but finally Richard had come round. He would sign over Rampling Gate to me, and I should absolutely refuse to allow the place to be torn down. There would be nothing he could do then to obey father's command. I had given him the legal impediment he needed. And of course, I told him I would leave the house to his male heirs. It should always be in rampling hands. A clever solution, it seemed to me, since father had not told me to destroy the place. I had no scruples in the matter now at all. And what remained was for him to take me to the little railway station and see me off for London and not worry about my going home to Mayfair on my own. You stay here as long as you wish and do not worry, I said. I felt more tenderly toward him than I could ever express. You knew as soon as you had set foot in this place that father was quite wrong. The great black locomotive was chugging past us, the passenger car slowing to a stop. Must go now, darling. Kiss me, I said. But what came over you, Julie? What convinced you so quickly? We've been through all that, Richard, I said. What matters is that Rampling Gate is safe, and we are both happy, my dear. I waved until I couldn't see him anymore. The flickering lamps of the town were lost in the deep lavender light of the early evening, and the dark hulk of Rampling Gate appeared for one uncertain moment like the ghost of itself on the nearby rise. I sat back and closed my eyes. Then I opened them, slowly savoring this moment for which I had waited so long. He was smiling, seated in the far corner of the leather seat opposite, as he had been all along. And now he rose with a swift, almost delicate movement and sat beside me and folded me in his arms. It's five hours to London, he whispered. I can wait, I said, feeling the thirst like a fever as I held tight to him, feeling his lips against my eyelids and my hair. I want to hunt the London streets tonight, I confessed a little shyly, but I saw only approbation in his eyes. Beautiful Julie, my Julie, he whispered. You'll love the house in Mayfair, I said. Yes, he said. And when Richard finally tires of Rampling Gate, we shall go home.